As a physician, do you often find yourself on autopilot in your daily practice of medicine? How, rather, can you bring mindfulness to your practice and to your patients, and how can this make you a better physician? You are listening to ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Daniel Siegel, Associate Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at UCLA School of Medicine. He's also on the faculty of the Center for Culture, Brain, and Development. He is the director of the Mindsight Institute, an educational organization that focuses on how the development of insight and empathy in individuals, families, and communities can be enhanced by examining the interface of human relationships and basic biological processes. Dr. Siegel is the author of many books, his most recent being The Mindful Brain. Dr. Siegel, what can I as a physician do to understand the goals of mindfulness and become a better physician? I know in my own training, and I don't know how it was for you, but we had no focus on the mind, on our own or that of the patient whatsoever. And so for me, the idea of bringing into medical training a way of becoming more present, as you point out beautifully, you know, we're often on autopilot and just doing things without this kind of mindful presence of being actually not on automatic, of getting our minds back. There are a couple of really important things that I think have been published that I should start with. The first is a beautiful article by Ron Epstein called Mindful Practice in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association from 99. And that's a lovely article that really points out how a physician can bring mindfulness into their practice, stop being on automatic pilot. There's another book. It was the book called How Doctors Think by... Uh, Grobman. By Grobman. Thank you very much. What that book does, never really, I don't think, talks about mindfulness per se, but it talks about the risks of not being mindful, of what happens when we are on automatic pilot and jump to uh, premature diagnoses and send patients down long paths of treatment that actually missed the point because the clinician doing the diagnosis or starting the treatment program wasn't being open-minded, you know, very aware of the present moment to say, is this conclusion I'm drawing accurate? And we often, in the speed and hectic lives we have to lead as physicians, come to quick diagnoses, move along, label a patient, and so instead of the patient's symptoms being the fullness of what they are, we stick them in a category. Well, perhaps we need for Dr. Siegel to to introduce the fourth vital sign. As, as in your book, you talk about the three R's of education, and then you offer a fourth. So perhaps that fourth can be our fourth vital sign. It's a reflection is a very important vital sign uh, for all of us to take, and to take a pause and say, am I really present now? Is this thing I'm doing with my mind now, jumping to a, a category, really accurate? Now, a busy physician might say, well, I don't have time to do that. But actually, research suggests that it doesn't take more, much more time, maybe 15, 20 seconds, to actually develop the practice of being reflective. And for patients, the studies on relational aspects of the physician-patient connection suggest that it isn't the time, really, but the present, literal being there in the moment of looking at a patient and saying, what's on your mind, and being there to hear the answer in a full kind of way. Everyone's fear, of course, is Pandora's box, I don't have time, but patients feel like that moment of a doctor really saying, I want to know what's going on with you, changes everything. Just being present and creating some sort of resonance with the patient is perhaps all the patient really needs. Perhaps all what the patient needs, and you know, it's amazing because the studies that Ron Epstein quotes 
and that Dr. Groupman presents are that, in fact, diagnoses become more accurate, patients feel more satisfied, malpractice is massively reduced when patients feel that the doctors are really there connecting and caring for them. And so, you know, one of my old mentors, Tom Whitfield, used to always say, you know, the secret for caring for patients is caring about them. And to really care about a patient, you have to be mindful. You have to be open to what's actually going on with them, not putting your own expectations onto them and rushing off to the next patient. Well, you said that, you know, none of us got any of this education at school. So how do we go about teaching ourselves to have these reflective skills? It's very important. You know, in the medical school level, there's a consortium that's developing here at UCLA with Rochester, with Ron Epstein, and with some people at Harvard where we're going to try to develop a systematic program that's scientifically based to promote mindfulness in medical students and residents. So we're trying to work on a systems level there. For those physicians who are already out in practice, I would urge you to take a look at some of the basic writings, which actually have CDs available to them that people would rather learn with CDs. So John Kabat-Zinn's book, Full Catastrophe Living, is a great one to summarize mindfulness-based programs. A recent book called The Mindful Way Through Depression is useful just to get a feeling for this approach, and it has a CD attached to it. You know, Ron Epstein's article would be a good one to start with. And all of these practices, for example, Jack Cornfield has things, give you a simple way of getting in touch with the present moment. The fastest way to get this, which is totally free, is, you know, I, I co-direct a, a program at UCLA where we're trying to teach medical community and the larger UCLA community and our urban community, mindfulness practices. And so you can go to our website, MARC, which is M-A-R-C, Mindful Awareness Research Center, marc.ucla.edu, and you can download for free a three-minute, five-minute, seven-minute brief reflective practice that if it's done each day, and I've had patients do it from our website, it really begins to develop not only a state of mindfulness when you're practicing it for those few minutes each day, but then over time, it be, the state becomes a trait. And really, people say from all walks of life that carrying out a mindful practice, whether it's yoga or tai chi or qigong or centering prayer or something like uh, this mindfulness meditation that we have on our website, when you do this on a regular basis, even for just a few minutes, there are very significant changes that happen. And when the clinician develops this mindfulness as a state, they then can bring it into their practice in a way that actually changes the relationship they have with their patients. Uh, one brief thing I'll just mention is that some studies by Shauna Shapiro have shown that when you train mindfulness for clinicians, like medical students, you actually enhance empathy. And in the mindful brain, I try to explore why that would be the case. And the circuitry for mindful awareness is overlapping in a, to a great extent with the same circuitry we use to connect to other people. And that's why I think empathy is actually improved when we develop this mindful presence in ourselves. And empathy, as you may know, is one of the key ingredients for all clinical relationships. It's one of the common factors across, for example, in psychotherapy, why different forms of psychotherapy all work. The clinician is empathic. Why patients feel heard by their specialist by their physician is the empathy of the clinician. And so people say, well, can you teach empathy? And the answer is yes. 
You can teach empathy through developing mindful awareness. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking today with Dr. Daniel Siegel. He's the director of the Mindsight Institute and author of many books, the most recently being The Mindful Brain, and we're discussing mindfulness for clinicians. Dr. Siegel, can you tell me a little bit about what's going on at the Mindsight Institute currently? psychologists, social workers uh, here where we're actually have year-long programs and intensive programs. Uh, we have a program on the mindful brain, for example, coming up in October as an adjunct to something we're doing at UCLA with Thich Han for mindfulness for clinicians. And so we have programs regularly where we try to help clinicians develop uh, insight and empathy, which is what Mindsight is. We also have programs developing for uh, educators so that they can bring insight and empathy into the classroom. We've done actually some think tanks where I've gotten some funding to bring scientists together who are experts, for example, in the question of how do we know about the mind in ourselves and others? How do we develop insight and empathy? And so we have this wonderful opportunity to actually have cutting-edge knowledge from the scientists themselves that we've tape-recorded, and um, I'm able to report on those findings. And then we also have programs for parents to try to, you know, bring this amazing finding from science, which is that parental self-understanding, which I think embeds mindful awareness in the parent, it's the best predictor of the child's social and emotional development. And their development of social and emotional intelligence, for example, is directly related to their parent's state of mind, how the parent has this open state with respect to how they understand the impact of their own childhood on their development. Can I, as a physician, let's say, go to the Mindsight Institute for one week and and learn these skills to help me both as a parent and a physician? You know, we do have programs that happen monthly, so they certainly it's possible to participate in that. We're developing programs where people can do them online. The week-long program would be as if you're, if you're up for a trip. So uh, sometimes we go to Hawaii. This year we're actually going to Tahiti on a boat. So if you want to hang out with me for a week, you can actually bring your family and have a vacation at the same time. And a lot of physicians actually have been participating in our summer week-long intensives. Those are really a lot of fun because you get both a vacation, you get continuing medical education credits, and you get deep inner learning all in one package. I always pinch myself and I figure, you know, somebody's got to do it. Then you can always go to the Mindsight Institute website or drdansiegel.com and you can get, I don't run those, but I'm, I mean, I teach them, but you can then get the link through the people who organize those conferences. So you'll be on the boat. We'll be in Tahiti in uh, July of 08, yeah. And also other places. I mean, I just came back from Thailand and Germany and Ireland, and I'm always teaching in different parts of the world, and so we try to keep a current list on the website. So, you know, I'll be in Kripalu uh, in October, which is a yoga center in, in New England and Cincinnati and uh, down in South Carolina and Dallas, all sorts of places. If someone wanted to start some sort of meditative program, as you said, every religion has it available. There's Buddhism, there's Taoism, there's Tai Chi. How do you pick? How do you go about beginning? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, I once did a conference with Houston Smith, who's a very historical figure in the study of religions across the world. And Houston said, he, you know, he, he didn't really favor sitting meditation for himself. He had a hard time just sitting with his eyes closed. And so for mindfulness meditation, a lot of it is, you know, sitting. There is walking mindfulness meditation. And some people just don't like that. And they'd rather do a moving process like yoga, for example, uh, which is a mindfulness practice, or tai chi which is a mindfulness practice. 
So if sitting quietly just drives you absolutely nuts and you can't get through even with effort that nutty part, it could be that it's, it's just not for you and that's fine. And these other moving mindfulness practices are great. You know, Andrew Weil has some great tapes through Sounds True that he did with John Kabat-Zinn and also by himself. There's one in particular, I think, I don't remember the name of it, but if you go to soundstrue.com and look up Andrew Weil and John Kabat-Zinn, they have a beautiful tape, I think really for physicians, to introduce mindfulness meditation, to actually have you see the scientific basis of it and the clinical applications of it. And if I were starting just fresh, that's the tape I would go to. Daniel Siegel, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Larry. We've been discussing mindfulness for clinicians. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.